Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. I, I know for a fact you guys have been tuning into TV news for the latest on the Israel-Gaza war. But when you see reporters out there, Trey Yinkst and Mike Tobin of Fox News, Anderson Cooper and Nick Robertson from CNN, the correspondents on I-24 and Al Jazeera reporting from the front lines, do you really understand what it takes for them to bring the story to you? Let me give you a statistic. According to Reporters Without Borders, 1,700 journalists have been killed globally over the last 20 years. That's an average of more than 80 a year. Little bit of history here. Vietnam was was the first television war in the United States. Of course, the press had bravely covered many wars before, but the uncensored and unflinching coverage of that war in Vietnam was was really new, and it had a significant impact on viewers. And I know, I know, of course, from then on, the Korean War, the Persian Gulf War, Croatia's War of Independence, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria's Civil War, those have followed and many more. But with the Israel-Gaza War barely a month old, I want you to know that 41 journalists, more than one a day, have lost their lives covering the conflict. Are you starting to get the picture now? Journalists and their crews put their lives at risk for what? To bring you and the world the story from the heat of the battlefield with the goal of bearing witness to what is truly happening. No one understands that risk more than Benjamin Hall. Benjamin is a Fox News correspondent. He raised his hand the moment Russia invaded Ukraine, February 26th of 2022. Just 18 days later, while Hall, his videographer Pierre Zokshevsky and Ukrainian reporter Sasha Kuvshinova were venturing out to cover the front lines of the Kiev Oblast, that's, that's Ukrainian for region, when their vehicle they were in was hit by a Russian bomb, 55-year-old Pierre and 24-year-old Sasha were killed, and Benjamin found himself in a pool of blood, burned and near death, with no one to help. He lost a leg, the foot on his other leg, his eye and a hand, but in an incredible story filled with numerous heroes in the form of doctors, Ukrainian civilians, Fox Pentagon reporter Jennifer Griffin, journalists from competing networks, the U.S. military and the Biden administration— Hall was rescued, stabilized, and then rushed to America, where today, after 30 surgeries, he is alive and back working at Fox and here with us on the podcast. Benjamin, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Liz, what a pleasure to be with you. And, you know, you, you described it so perfectly. And I'm so grateful that I'm here, not only to talk about all the great work that those journalists are doing in Israel, but also talk about Pierre and Sasha, you know, who we miss, who we miss every single day. Oh, I'm sure it's so good to have you here, but all of our hearts were broken when Pierre and Sasha lost their lives. Tell me where you are right now and what you're doing on today, the random day here. Well, I mean, um, I'm in London at the moment and uh, I'm with my family. And I suppose the point I'm at now is just to, towards the end of my recovery. You know, uh, the attack was about a year and a half ago. And for a good year and a half, I did nothing but surgeries. I was in hospital for seven months and it was all focused about health, getting back, being able to walk again, all my prosthetics. But recently, in the last month or so, I've said, that's enough. Enough of recovery. We've got to move on with life. We've got to be working again. We can't stop now just because we've been injured. And so that's the section I've just started again. So, you know, I'm back on air. I'm starting a podcast of myself. I'm writing a second book. And I just think that no matter what happens to you, you've got to pick yourself up. You've got to keep on going. And, of course, I'm watching Israel every single day, and I'm covering that as well. And I'm doing the geopolitical analysis of what's going on there. So, Life is life is different, but 
it's a life again. It's back to normal, and I'm, and I'm finding a way through my injuries. And we are so happy about that. You know, you're known today in great part because of what you survived in Ukraine, but your story, Benjamin, how you became one of the most respected war correspondents even before that is really something I want our viewers to understand so they can wrap their minds around how you fought so hard to survive. But I often hear this, you know, they say war correspondents aren't made, they are born. But when did you first have the itch to cover conflicts? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think it's something that I was meant to do my whole life. Um, I grew up and I was fascinated by conflict. My father, we you know, was in a Japanese prison camp when he was eight years old and then he, his parents were killed in the, in the war. And we watched war films growing up, movies. And uh, and it was a passion of mine. And I was fascinated by, by war and geopolitics. And so as soon as I graduated from Duke, from university, I flew to Iraq. And I, I wasn't really a journalist. I'd written, you know, for the school paper and the rest, but I knew I needed to cover it. I needed to see it. I needed to experience it. And so I was absolutely drawn to it. And what starts to happen is that every story you tell, you want to tell it a bit more. You want to get closer. If you really want to tell it, you have to be right next to the story. And slowly over the years, I started getting closer to the front lines. And then I'd say in um, about 2010, um, was when uh, was when I really started, you know, being on the front lines, and uh, from those, from then on, I was being, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and Libya and Somalia, um, you know, all over the world, and it's something that changes you in a, in a big way. You see lives torn apart, and you see the most incredible things too. You see courage and bravery, and it's hard to replicate that. And once I started becoming a war correspondent, there was nothing else mm. I wanted to do. I felt so strongly about you know, the work we were doing. And if people sitting back home on their sofas, watching their TVs, if they could get a bit of an idea of what was happening around the world, then perhaps we can all pull together and make the world a better place. And so I thought, you can only tell those stories by being there, by telling the stories, by meeting the people. And and that's just what I've been doing for the last 15 years. And um, I'm very lucky to have done it. I consider it the best job in the world. You worked before Fox for the New York Times, the BBC, Agence France Presse, the Times of London, Esquire magazine on, on so many conflicts. You just articulated a bunch of them. Tell me about Libya. Well, Libya was really the first time that we um, we wanted to get in behind enemy lines. You know, for a while we had covered conflicts and uh, we'd been with some embedded with some troops, but we knew that the one story was to get to Misrata and uh, that's a sort of a city that is on the coast and it was all surrounded by Gaddafi forces. And at this point, I was still a freelancer and I was trying to write for different newspapers and sell video to different networks. And so me and a cameraman called Rick Findler, we knew that we had to somehow get in behind enemy lines. And that was the first time and I actually ended up bartering my sunglasses to the captain of a small little fishing boat who was heading in that direction. And um, we got on this little fishing boat and about an hour into this long two-day journey across the Mediterranean, bumpy seas, I realized it was an illegal weapons shipment. And it was um, carrying a whole lot of illegal weapons. Oh, so my we God. Jeez. We were breaking, breaking every NATO blockade. <laughs> but that's, that's how Libya started. And we got into Misrata um, after a couple of days, after a British warship had followed us and called us up and asked what we were carrying. Captain of the ship actually turned around and said, we, we, we have food, food for the children, he said. And then they, they, he said, and we have British journalists, too. And the captain of this warship got on the radio to me and he said, what are you carrying on that ship? And I had this moment where I had to make a decision. Do, do I tell him the truth <laughs> that we're sitting on a lot of illegal weapons and then my story ends or or not? And the decision I made was to say, um, we have food, food for the children. <laughs> it was one of those 
slightly more, you know, minor untruths because we were also carrying some food and medical supplies, I will, I will add. Well, but I mean, we th- this is what I want our listeners to understand, that you're put in these positions, but you then are able to report to the world what truly is or is not happening. I mean, I mean, to me, the way you did it, and I really got to know you during Ukraine, was solidly, fairly, balanced, and factual. Factual. You joined Fox News and covered conflicts all over the world by 2015. Uh, you were working out of the network bureau in London. Tell me about the conflict in the early days of Fox News that you remember the most that, that really struck you. Well, you know, one of the reasons I think that I was given the job at Fox was because I'd been covering ISIS a lot. And uh, I'd written a book on ISIS. I'd spent the last few years inside Syria, again, behind Assad lines, living in the caves with some of the rebel fighters and trying to, you know, learn that story. And it was such a big story at the time that that's one of the reasons I was brought on. And so the first few stories I did with uh, with Fox were heading back into Iraq and Syria and talking about the big push to defeat ISIS. And um it was funny because I'd been a freelancer till then. And at that point, you're moving quickly. you got the bag on your back. You might be somewhere for a few months to tell the story. You're trying to sell to everyone. Um, and suddenly being with Fox and being with the network, you had a, a whole different level and a lot of more support. And mm. it, I suppose it shifted my career in a big way because till then I told the stories more of the people you met. It was very hard to get interviews with some of the people in, you know, in power. Once you join Fox, it's a great advantage that you can go to a country and you can tell both stories. You can talk to the people, but you can also talk to the leaders and the generals and you know, and the presidents. And so I just remember being blown away by the access that I was given. And uh, and then, you know, trying to find the right balance in stories as well. Um, but so I, I think it was ISIS that I first remember for the first few years. And uh, I remember traveling many of those trips with Pierre cameraman you know who, who died in ukraine alongside who was alongside me at the time and um we became like brothers and we you know we slept in in trenches we slept in caves we moved around a lot and you build incredible relationships because the fact is you have to trust the people you work with implicitly you need to know where you're going why you're going you have to be on the same page and you just develop a mutual trust and like, i've been in war zones many of war zones where you're with someone who you don't know that well and they want to do something different and they want to go to different places and it can be really dangerous. And so um, I guess it was just those first few years with Pierre and uh, covering the stories of ISIS. And it was amazing because I saw ISIS, the rise of ISIS, and then I saw the fall of ISIS. And it's really <laughs> amazing as a journalist to be able to see the whole part of a story, the beginning, the middle and the end. And um, I remember being in the streets of uh, Bahoz, it's a little town in uh, southeast Syria just as it was the last ISIS held town. And we were the first network to be allowed to go inside with some of the Kurdish fighters. And we we watched, we watched the very end of the caliphate, the last flag being taken down. Mm. Remember what a moment it was for me, just thinking we've seen this whole thing from the beginning to the end. And, and in that sense, I thought this is good defeating evil. You know, ISIS was the most evil terror group. And I saw the good guys go out and defeat the bad. And I thought yeah. it was a, just a and you, you got to tell that story I mean, from right there. Uh, you got a respite from the battlefield several years later. I mean, you, you had kids. You had a wife by then. Uh, you became Fox's U.S. State Department correspondent. You moved to D.C. But February 2022, Russia invades Ukraine. What did you do? You raised your hand. Why? Well, I did. To be honest, my wife and I have been speaking for a few years about pulling back from the front lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have three young daughters, and she'd say, I think the time is, is to move on. We should, you should move on. And that's why we went to the State Department. 
but you know russia invaded ukraine and for me it was the biggest land invasion that we've seen in my lifetime and i am as i said at the beginning of this podcast i'm just so totally connected to covering conflict and i knew i had to cover it and so straight away first of all i called my wife alicia and i said look I've got to, I've got to go. I've got to be there. And she said, of course, I'd like a, she knew on straight away that I was going to go. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I called up and I said to Fox, I know I'm at the State Department right now, but I think I need to be out there. And uh, sure enough, the next day I was on a plane and, uh, and, and off I went. And minutes later on the air, I mean, we, we were riveted to your coverage. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I, I want to give some context a little bit to our view, our listeners and our viewers. The, the scene in Die Hard, that movie with Bruce Willis, where the TV reporter, the local TV guy who beats all the other networks to the scene of the hostage crisis is there when this huge explosion is triggered. And he says to his cameraman, tell me you got that. And the camera crew says, I got it. I got it. And his response is, eat your heart out, Channel 5. But I want our viewers to understand when it comes to wars and hurricanes, which which I covered, hurricane, hurricanes, real disasters, once you're out in the field, there's no more really vicious competition with other networks. You're all in it together in a way. And that really came through that day in March when you were in that vehicle and you got hit by a, a Russian bomb. What do you remember of that moment and then the follow through of everyone coming together to help you? Yeah, well, look, we had been filming, um, as, as you said earlier, just outside Kiev and talking about the, well, all the, the defenses that the Ukrainians were building. And we were in an abandoned, abandoned town. And um, we thought the Russians were about 30 miles away or so. That, that's what so we'd been, uh, what the intel had shown. And we filmed, we filmed this town, which had previously been bombed to the ground. And I remember thinking, wow, what a great story. Like we're, we're, we're some of the first journalists to come and see the total devastation in some of these areas. And um, as we were driving back, it was, a, there were five of us in this small little car, two Ukrainians who were driving, myself, Pierre and Sasha, and out of nowhere, in the abandoned town, this mm-hmm. first bomb just came from the air and uh, landed just in front of the car. And immediately there was a turn backwards, reverse, get out of here. And then a second later, the second bomb landed just next to the car. Now, I I blacked out at that point, but I know I got a lot of the facial injuries, so shrapnel in the eye and big piece of shrapnel in my throat. And um, and at that point, I saw my daughter, I saw my eldest daughter, Rona, right in front of me, came through the, the, the blackness. And she said to me, very clear, it was totally calm, peaceful, the way I was seeing it. She came to me and she said, said Daddy, you've got to get out of the car. 
you got to get out of the car. And it Are you serious? This, you saw that? Yeah, I saw it in front of me, in peaceful black, and I was out of it, and, and it brought me back again. And I opened my eyes, and I reached for the door, and I grabbed for the door, and I, got, I kind of got out of the car, and I took one step out of the car, and the third bomb hit the car itself. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm... A, I'm, a, I'm passed out for a bit. I wake up again. I'm on fire. My, my right leg is gone. I'm rolling around on the floor. And I'm, you know, Pierre had already gotten out of the car. I was in the middle seat at the back. Or frankly, the death seat. Pierre had just gotten out. And so Pierre was on the ground just in front of me. And uh, he wasn't, he didn't look wounded. He was lying there and he said, don't move. Russian drones, Russian drones. We, we don't know if they were drones. We think they were artillery. But he said Russian drones. And so we lay there for a while. And I said, Pierre, Pierre, I, I'm badly injured. Pierre, I've got to go. And he said, don't move, Russian drones. And um, we both tried our phones, but there was no cell phone reception. All the telecoms were down, so we couldn't tell anyone. And um, after about half an hour or so, this one car came out of nowhere, and it drove right past where we had, where our car was still burning. And it didn't stop, and I was waving at it. And I said, we've got to go. Pierre, there's a car. And he said, they're Russians, they're Russians. And I said, I said again, Pierre, it doesn't matter. I, I got to go. I'm so badly injured. And I started dragging myself up towards the road. Um, felt no pain at this point because the, the adrenaline is kicking in. And, and I knew I was badly injured, but I was had my mind on one sole thing. And that is get home. I'm going to go home and see my children. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to crawl, do whatever I have to do. So I started crawling. And then a few minutes later, that car had some engine problems. And it stopped and it came back again. And at that point, I was a bit higher up. I had a handful full of dirt, and I threw, threw it at the oh. car, stopped. And the last thing I remember is he, the guy jumped out. He grabbed me by my body arm, and he pulled me. And at that second, the second that I knew someone had found me and I was saved, I felt all the pain. Boom, it hit me. Um, now, um, I was thrown at the back of the truck, and that Pierre, by that point, had died. We, we don't know exactly what point. You know, he, he passed away. He had cut his femoral artery right oh, in his groin. That was God. it. I, he wasn't he wasn't injured other than that. And I was so badly injured. Um, and so, you know, he, he bled out. But um, that was uh, that, that was the that was the day itself. And, I, you know, I remember it very clearly. I think about it every single day and, and it gives me a lot of strength. I have to think back to that moment and realize that none of the little things matter, that life is here. It's a wonderful place. And if you can survive that, we have to keep doing our best to make the world a better place, to stop things like that happening. And so I, uh, well, it was an incredible day. Well, that is, that is the point, isn't it, where we're all thinking about our own problems and we're going about our day. And that's why I wanted to hear your story for me, for everybody listening how valuable it is to hear what you went through and, and how it has affected you in a way that makes you so valuable, in my opinion, and your story about this. There were so many heroes. Jennifer Griffin of the Pentagon here at Fox News, she kicked into gear when she heard that one of the crew was injured. And she she got the State Department <laughs> rolling, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. And then there were the com competing reporters who helped and everybody got together. 
Well, exactly. I mean, I really think that it was a miracle that I survived that day. But it's it, everything that happened after then that were many more miracles. I mean, so many things happened. It's precisely the right moment. You know, Jen found out at the Pentagon and she immediately called Save Our Allies, this incredible non uh, nonprofit um, who go in and rescue people. They're all veterans. And they had a team on the just on the other side of the border in Poland. And they immediately set out to try and get me among them. A, um, was it the Medal of Honor winner? Is that right? And a couple of guys with bronze bronze um bronze star uh, purple heart all of those guys are heroes purple heart exactly so they set off to find me but at the meantime no one knew where i was i was in the hands of a ukrainian soldier he took me to the nearest small little ukrainian field hospital and so there was a mad dash and all the journalists eventually found out that, that an attack had happened but they didn't know who had survived or where the survivors were and everyone from cnn to nbc they all started moving out and trying to find us and lent mm. their cars to people so that is you were talking about earlier. That is the that's all coming together. Uh, and despite, you know, you might have a little bit of rivalry about telling stories, but none of that matters once something important like this happens. Then um the next thing I know, I woke up sort of a day and a half later and um, thought that I was in a Russian hospital, because in my words, Pierre had said they're Russians. So I was trying to think of an escape plan. Although <laughs> by this point my leg had been totally taken off and um my foot as well on the other side, but I was still trying to figure a way to escape. And then walked um Rich Jadek, guy who won a couple of bronze stars, and he was part of Save Our Allies team. They'd been doing everything they could to get through the Ukrainian lines to find me. And he walked in and he said, hey, you want to get out of here? Oh. I just said, first of all, I said, by the way, they're all Russians. And that's, I've got a gun. <laughs> and he just looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry buddy. We'll get you out of here. But they couldn't drive me because I had a big piece of shrapnel in my neck and they were worried about the roads. It was a day and a half drive to get out. They couldn't fly a plane in because of the surface-to-air missiles that the Russians were using. Um, but out of nowhere, we heard through intelligence and again, the contacts through the, you know, the U.S. government. And uh, the government had said, the U.S. government had said to Jennifer Griffin, no American troops can go in to help him or to find him because our policy is no, no boots on the ground. No boots on the ground, yeah. exactly. But if you can get him to Poland, we will treat him. He can be treated inside military medicine. And so um, they didn't know how to get me to Poland. But amazingly, the Polish prime minister was on the first secret visit to see Zelensky. And if we could break through all the, the, the curfew, the 36 hour curfew and make our way to the to the train station, we could get on the Polish prime minister's train. The Polish prime minister had agreed to wait for us. And oh. So we had this mad dash through town. Where, and I was not doing well at this point. They didn't have the medical supplies for me. No painkillers at this point. None? Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, really, really terrible. And every checkpoint we got to, the Ukrainian checkpoint, they thought we were Russians because we were the only people breaking the curfew. And they would come into the back of the ambulance, beaten up all the ambulance, and open up my wounds to check that I was injured. And um, we had this incredible dark dash across the city. And with minutes to spare, we got to the other end, and the Polish prime minister was waiting for us, and we got on that train. And uh, 10 hours later, 10 of the worst hours of my life, because I was lying there for 10 hours, I found out halfway through the journey that Pierre had died. So I was thinking oh. about that. And I was thinking about my pain, which wouldn't stop. And my mind had a traumatic brain injury. My mind wouldn't stop just rotating and rotating. And so I just had to find another level at that point. And I had to occasionally had the wherewithal to stop and to think it's OK. You got you got enough strength for this. Keep your mind focused. Don't get panicked. Let the people around you, the experts, let them do what they do best. And you just keep quiet because the last thing anyone needed, I know, was someone writhing or complaining. So I just kept my mouth shut. I just said, whatever pain it's got to be, I will deal with it. I will deal with it. 
And um, I remember crossing the border into Poland and there was a, a Black Hawk from the US oh. waiting there and the second were there. And I just remember this moment, this feeling that, you know, I'd, I'd done it. I'd made it. I was, I was going to be, I was going to be saved. And um, that's another one of those incredibly emotional times. And the most amazing thing is for the next seven months, I was treated in US military medicine and I was blessed. What an incredible group of people. And the stories I heard from the people, you know, obviously the, the victims from Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, so I was going through the same process as all these people. These are people I'd interviewed so many of during those wars. Right. I'd spoken to them about countries, and there was I in their position. And I remember getting a strange sort of thrill out of it. I, I, I don't know. I was thinking, I always wondered what it would be like if I was ever in a position of the people I'd seen hurt, you know, or, and I always hoped that I would do so with a, with bravery and that I would get through it without complaining and I, that I would find the strength and I was absolutely blessed that I did. And so I was surrounded by amazing people. And I was at San Antonio, the Brook Army Medical Center for seven months in Texas. And that was, that was amazing. And I go back as often as I can now. And I talk to other people who are going through similar, who have similar injuries to me. And I'm speaking to as many different groups as I can to keep the awareness on military medicine, because they're just one of the many groups that came and saved my lives and will save our allies and Jen Griffin and the Polish prime minister and Zelensky's office and the state department. And, oh, you know, so man. really, really, I'm, I'm, and I'm very lucky because by the way, as a freelancer, I wouldn't have had any of that support. And I had a couple of friends who were terribly injured and they were just abandoned, you know? Mm. So I thank Fox and Fox News for everything as well, because I was so blessed to have them around me. And they've been there every single step of the way. And uh, so I'm a very lucky person, to be honest. I, I really am. Oh, my gosh. I am so thrilled to have you tell this story. But everybody, Benjamin, while he's recovering through 30 surgeries, wrote a book. I want you to read it. It's called Saved, A War Reporter's Mission to Make It Home. Oh, Benjamin, um, I couldn't be more grateful that you're here and speaking on this podcast. Let us know when your podcast starts. We'll promote it. And you're back at work and you're with your family and and bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. And again, just, um, I guess, just paying tribute to all those journalists who are still out there in conflict, still out in Israel. You know, they're doing amazing work, too. And um, you know, I'm so grateful that they are. People are so quick to criticize the media and the press. I hope every one of you listeners now has a, a has a better, more crystal clear view of what we do and why we do it. We're not there with some kind of angle or mission. Our mission is to inform the world and show the facts of what's truly happening and commit them to history. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And in memory of Pierre and Sasha, it's great to have you back. Thank you. Thanks, Benjamin Hall, all I can say to all of you is get the book now, read it. Even if you've never thought you were interested in war coverage or correspondence stories, it will change your life and more importantly, your outlook on life. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Claim and Countdown. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.